Glad you guys are here. We're going to try this. So rising sixth through rising eighth. If you want, you can slip out with Emily and you'll have a lesson that's geared to you in rising first through rising fifth. If you want, and if your parents are good with it, you can slip out with uh, Miss Katie in the back and she will have a, it'll be a elementary geared lesson. So parents, this is what, when we're done, middle school parents, you'll go all the way, go down the stairs and go to your left and you'll run into these double doors and that's where the middle school kids will be. Elementary school parents, if just one of you could go down the steps and then go straight down the hallway, um, the elementary room will be on the right and then you can grab your kid and you'll actually go out um, the exterior staircase and go down uh, outside that way. And that'll hopefully keep too many people from being in the hallway at one time. A few more housekeeping things. So last week, um, our live stream fritzed out at nine. So that was in keeping. That stayed the same. Even when we moved, we can't do technology that great. And then also in keeping. So we have these two new bathrooms and neither of them works right now. So if you need to use the bathroom, pick pick a different one. Um, Go all the way down to the bottom bottom floor and go towards the left. And there's some bathrooms on the left that you can use. So that's stuck with us as well. Plumbing and technology issues. A couple of other things. This week you'll get a July calendar. So it'll tell you everything children and students and adults will be doing over the month of July. We're not doing any big changes. Like this is kind of what we'll be doing on Sundays. I'll actually be out of town for a few weeks in July. This is my sabbatical time, which I appreciate y'all letting me have. And so if you need something from me, the best thing to do is to email Kim and she'll make sure that whatever those needs are get addressed. But our Sundays will continue to feel like this. We'll do kind of these two weeks at a time, give everyone a chance to sign up. And then if there are openings, then you can sign up for multiple weeks. Um, our, I guess it's a target. It's obviously moving would be to have more kind of quote normal church in August. So that would be our goal is that we could offer a more full or children's ministry starting in August. So you'll hear from the Stonebridge kids team this month what that looks like for families and then what we would need in terms of volunteers to be able to pull that off. But July will feel like this and you'll get all of the other um, ministry pieces as well. And then last thing, we're done with kind of the the formal tours, uh, but this is really for those of you who are watching. If you're, uh, if you're not in a spot where you can get out, you're either not comfortable or it's not wise for you to be around people and you would like a tour, uh, then just reach out to Kim and we'll give you a, a personal tour at some point in July that works for you just to make sure you have a chance to come in uh, and see the building. So you can reach out to Kim. All right, Revelation 22, this is it. Last Revelation message. We're going to look at the epilogue. The epilogue has three people talking, John, an angel, and Jesus, and we'll look at what they said. So 22, starting in verse 6. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But the angel said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then the angel told me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. 
Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and offspring of David, and I'm the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and the one who hears says, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away from the words of this scroll, excuse me, from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So two major words there. The words of revelation are a prophecy. Four times in those few verses we see the words of this prophecy. Two times John is called a prophet. And Jesus is coming soon. Five times. Either I'm coming soon, what must soon take place, the time is near. So revelation closes with those two main themes. That the book itself is a prophetic word to the church and that Jesus is returning quickly. And so we'll look at both of those things. First, that Revelation is a prophetic word to the church. So all of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, you have to read with bifocals. The first thing you have to ask is, what does it say to the original audience? It was written to people in very different situations than, than us. And so we want to, well, did, what did they hear? It has to make sense to them. And then we also want to say, well, and then what does it mean for us? So every book in the Bible, you read both ways. You say, first, what did it mean to that original audience? And then what does that mean to us? How do I apply that truth to my life here in Marietta in 2020? With Revelation, you have to add a third lens, trifocals. Because Revelation is a prophecy, it also speaks to the future. So you have to look back, what did it mean to those original seven churches in Turkey? You look to the present, well, what does it mean for us? And you also look to the future, what does Revelation say about the return of Jesus? What does Revelation say about the end times? And so that's one of the reasons it can be confusing is because you have to read it through all three of those lenses. And then Revelation, you kind of pile onto that, uses all this uh, symbolic imagery that we have to interpret as well. It's easy to misunderstand. But closing... John wants to make sure, and the angel wants to make sure, and Jesus wants to make sure that we know this is a prophetic book. In the Bible, prophecy has three elements. One is discernment. So God would send a prophet to help his people understand what was happening, kind of quote, on the ground. So circumstances are happening, and God would send a prophet to say, let me help you understand what's, what's going on here from God's perspective. Remember the Old Testament, God had a people, Israel, they were a nation. They were a political nation, like the United States. They were a nation of people. They had a king, and they had a bit of an army, and they had land. And, and when a, a country would come and attack them, God would say, here's what's happening. Or if there was a drought, here's what's happening. Or if they experienced a time of blessing, here's what's happening. The prophets interpreted the times, discernment. Revelation does that. It's written to these seven churches in Turkey that are being squeezed by the Roman Empire. 
Some of them are being, uh, are being pressured to worship the emperor. And when they're refusing to go to the temple and burn incense to Domitian, the emperor, their stores are being boycotted. Some of them are being thrown in jail. Some of them, some of them have already been killed. Revelation says, here's what's going on. This isn't just about the Roman Empire. There's a, a battle. There's conflict between Satan and between God. And it's told in this imagery. Satan is a dragon and, he, and the Roman Empire is this beast. And, he, and, and the, the temp, Roman temple system is the false prophet. And all of those things are conspiring to press you to abandon your loyalty to Jesus and to worship the emperor. And some of those churches, they weren't feeling pressured. They were being enticed. They were looking at Rome, and they were seeing the money, and they were seeing the influence, and they were thinking it'd be nice to be a part of that and to have some of that for ourselves. And they were being drawn, allured, into a relationship with Rome, Roman culture. And again, using figurative language, that's Babylon, the great prostitute, and this prostitute is tempting you. And Revelation says, you don't want to align yourself with her. This is what's actually going on. Revelation is, is letting these seven churches know here's what's actually happening in your experience and in your time. Prophecy is discernment. Prophecy is also prediction. There is a future element. It's not just to satisfy our curiosity, but, the, but prophecy does say here's what God is going to do. Prophecy is discernment. Here's how you can understand what's happening in light of God's character. Prediction, here's what God is going to do in the future. And Revelation says that. Here's what's going to happen. God's going to judge the world. And initially, those judgments are going to be partial, and they're designed to draw people to repentance. Those are the trumpets that we talked about. And eventually, those judgments are going to be final, and they're going to be punishing those who've rejected him. Those are the bowls of his wrath. The son is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to take care of the beast and the false prophet and Satan. He's going to take care of death and everyone who rejects him and establish his kingdom on the earth. That's the future. And then all of that leads to a response, the third element of prophecy, discernment, prediction, response. What are we supposed to do? None of it's just for, to satisfy our curiosity. It's not just information for its own sake. It's designed to say, and here's how you live in light of that. Here's what I want you to do. In light of what God is doing in your world right now, here's what faithful response. In light of what God is going to be doing in the future, here's what it looks like for you to prepare yourself. We've said dozens of times the major takeaway from Revelation, God expects us to be faithful witnesses no matter what it costs. If you don't remember anything else from the last however many months we've gone through Revelation, you remember that. God expects us to be faithful witnesses regardless of the personal cost. To be faithful, to maintain loyalty and allegiance to Jesus, and to be a witness with our words and with our lives to demonstrate that Jesus is the king and that he's coming back soon to establish his kingdom on the earth. Revelation is a prophetic book. And you can imagine, we mentioned last week, in my mind, I know it started before, but the COVID crisis started on March 15th. That was the first Sunday that we didn't meet. It was March 13th, I think, when Kemp gave the press conference and that everything kind of turned uh, pretty sharply at that moment. So the last three and a half months were three major crises, a global pandemic, a global recession, and national civil unrest. It's a time where we could use a prophet or two, somebody who could help us understand what's going on in light of God's character and his activity. I hadn't read the book. Jeremy told me about a book, a, a, a very popular, famous pastor, 
author, theologian wrote recently on Corona, and he said, COVID is God's judgment on us for rebellion. I could not disagree more. It's, it's dis, COVID is disproportionately impacting people who are poor, people who are black, and people who are Hispanic. If God were to judge the U.S., I guarantee you he's not starting with poor minorities. He started with people who look like us. We need prophets. We need people who can help us understand what is happening in light of God's character. And that's, that, hear me say, we're not, I'm not talking about people who are speaking on the level of Scripture. I'm just talking about people who know the heart of God. People who are taking time and actually saying, God, what are you doing? Not just reading the newspaper, not just scrolling the blogs, not just listening to what the talking heads were saying, but are actually pulling away and quietly and privately saying, God, what are you doing? And how do we respond? We say all the time God speaks to the body, through the body, and he does recognize God speaks to the world through the body as well. And the world needs to hear what God is doing. There's plenty of crackpot ideas. How about somebody who genuinely has revelation from the Lord? And you don't need to have a big megaphone to do that. That's just you with God. The spirit of prophecy lives within you, the Holy Spirit, asking God, what are you doing? And you don't even have to know. Globally, it doesn't right here in our community. What are you doing? How do we understand what's happening And what does a faithful response look like? We all have the privilege and, I would say, responsibility as followers of Jesus. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to our community right now is context and perspective. And all of that comes from spending time with the Lord. Revelation is prophecy. Jesus is coming back soon. That was written 1950 years ago. Jesus is coming back soon. The time is near. These things must soon take place. A thing throughout the New Testament is called eminence, that Jesus' return is soon. His return is imminent. Paul says the time is short. Peter says the end of everything is near. The writer of Hebrews says the day with a capital D, the end is approaching. 1950 years, Jesus hasn't returned. How do we understand that doctrine that truth of eminence. The New Testament also teaches delay. Jesus in the parable of the ten bridesmaids says the groom comes back after a long time. The parable of the tenants, the master comes back after a long time. So both of these truths, delay and eminence, are taught in the New Testament and they create tension. And in New Testament times, within about 30 years of Jesus' ascension, people were already saying, and already said soon, The church was already experiencing this tension of imminence and delay. Peter addresses it, 2 Peter 3. You know this passage. Let me flip over there. I think it will be on the screen for you as well. Verses 8 and 9. There's more context, but just for the sake of time. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter says, I get it. There's tension. Jesus said he was coming back soon, and he hasn't come back yet. This was probably 40 years after Jesus' ascension. Probably a little bit less than that, actually. 
probably 30. And we're here 1,950 years later, and we're going, he still hasn't returned. And Peter says, listen, God doesn't keep time the way we keep time. We're thinking about hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades. It's not how God keeps time. With him, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Many of you can remember Christmas Eve when you were six and seven and eight. Is it not the longest day of your life? And now, especially those of you who are parents, is Christmas Eve not the shortest day of your life? There's not enough time. It's the same amount of time on the clock. It's experienced very differently. If you're somebody who's trying to pull everything together versus somebody if you're just waiting to rip open the presents under the tree. For God, time isn't, he, he, he's not running off a clock or a calendar. Uh, for Jesus' first coming, we read things like this, at just the right time while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's not a calendar question. At just the right time when the circumstances were right. In the fullness of time, God sent his son to be born of a woman. That's not a, an issue of calendars. That has to do with circumstances. I think Jesus' second coming will be similar he says in Matthew 20, 14, that 24, 14, that the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. That's not an issue of the calendar. That's an issue of circumstances. When the gospel has been preached to all nations, here, 2 Peter, when everyone who will has the opportunity to repent, to hear the good news and to place their faith and their trust in Jesus, then the end will come. Then God will send the Son. Because when the Son comes back, it's the end of history. And so, yes, a day, uh, there's delay and there's imminence. And Revelation is written to address that issue. Again, you have seven churches. Maybe, maybe they have several hundred people in the church in the entire city. Maybe several hundred. And they're being squashed like a bug under the bully that is the Roman Empire. And some of these churches are going, they're crying out and going, Jesus, we don't have a shot unless you come back. They've got their, their stores are being boycotted. Their people are being thrown in prison. Some of them are being killed. They're saying, Jesus, why won't you return and fix this? Revelation is written into that delay. It's written. Uh, prophecy, for, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, is for strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. Strengthening, that's a, that's a building, contracting word, building word, building up a house. I think about like a coach slapping a guy on the butt. Uh, that strengthening, encouraging, that's like a friend. It, it means to call someone to your side. It's, it's a friend holding out a hand. Comforting, that means to talk closely to someone. I think about putting your arm around someone's shoulder who's struggling. Revelation is all of those things. And this idea that Jesus is coming back soon plays all of those roles. To those guys who are being persecuted, who are being squeezed, who are being pressed, Revelation, it's an arm around the shoulder and it's a hand up. To those churches that are being tempted to, to engage with Babylon, that are being tempted by the great prostitute, to align themselves with her and her affluence and her influence, Revelation is that kick in the pants that says, wake up, because the king is coming back, and you don't want to be caught napping. Jesus says, you don't want to be a servant who's not ready when the master comes back. There's judgment for those servants. I think about the times in which we live right now just thinking about the, the civil unrest that we're experiencing as a city and as a nation. And what is the fact that Jesus is coming back and that the Spirit and the bride say to Jesus, come back, how does that influence and impact? Some of you are idealists, you're activists, and the fact that the Spirit and the bride say to Jesus, come, and the fact that Jesus is coming back soon, I hope that tempers your expectations, a recognition 
racism is ultimately a sin of the heart and it won't be fully and finally dealt with until Jesus returns. We see from Revelation 12, the enemy has been kicked out of heaven and he is venting his fury on the earth. There's a cosmic battle going on and that battle won't be brought to a close until Jesus returns. And so we're going to have to deal with an enemy. We're going to have to deal with people who are hostile to Jesus. We're going to have to deal with sin in our own hearts and in our relationships and in our community until Jesus returns. And so the fact that the Spirit and the bride say to Jesus, come, that reminds us he's the ultimate solution. He's the ultimate solution. And so that tempers our expectations about what we can accomplish. doesn't matter how many statues we pull down or how many miles we march or how many, how many laws we create. None of those things address the sin issue in people's hearts. But for those of us who are apathetic, maybe we're okay with the status quo. Jesus is coming back. And again, we don't want to be caught napping. We don't want to be the servant who's not doing his master's bidding, who's not executing his master's will when the master comes back. Another teaching about Jesus' return is it will be unexpected. There's imminence, there's delay, and there's a, there's a level of, 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 a, of surprise, like a thief in the night. The day and the hour is not known. And so we want to make sure that we're busy about Jesus' business when he returns. And for some of us, it's easy to get complacent. We, we look at what's going on, and maybe it doesn't necessarily impact us deeply on a personal level, and we're just waiting on the next crisis or the next headline. Not helpful. I would say m- many of you in this room and watching where you're white, what, what do we, what's our response? Again, some of us, we're activists, idealists, and we want to get out there and get engaged. And I would say 100% do that and do that through the lens of recognizing nothing, none of our efforts are going to bring about perfect results. Only Jesus can do that when he returns. Many of us, again, maybe you're just biding our time and we're a bit complacent, apathetic. We're part of the status quo. And I would say, Jesus is going to return and he wants to know, what have you been doing during my absence. A couple of things that you can be thinking about. James 1, 19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I think as, a, as white Christians, many of us, that's a great posture right now. Let's be quick to listen. Let's cultivate empathy and compassion. I have two kids that know how to drive. I don't have to tell either, either of them, here's what you do if you get pulled over. We've never had that conversation in our house. I don't know what it's like, and neither do you. And so let's be quick to listen. And that doesn't mean, being quick to listen doesn't mean you just listen for a short time. It means that your posture is, okay, I want to, you talk first. And you talk as long as you got to talk. Let's be slow to speak. For some of us, that isn't easy. Our opinions very quickly become our evaluations. Sounds like judgment. Let's just sit back and listen. Let's be slow to speak. Even kingdom words that need to be said, words about forgiveness, I don't know that those need to come from us right now. Those words are better to come from the black church at the time that they deem it appropriate. It sounds pretty dismissive coming from us at this point. It sounds like get over it. Even if that's not our intention, that's what it sounds like. We want to be quick to listen. We want to be slow to speak. And we want to be slow to become angry. And I w- anger, re- uh, anger can be helpful as a diagnostic. When you get angry, the question you should always ask is why. Most of us don't. We just explode or we suppress. We do one of those two things. We, in, we either indulge our anger or we try to choke our anger out. We suffocate it. Rarely do we use it as a diagnostic to say, what is that actually, what's, what is that 
what's, what's stirring in me? Like, why did that come out of me? What got poked? If you find yourself angry, I would say step back and ask the Lord, say, what, what actually is going on? What is being poked in me by these protests or by this language, by this direction? What exactly is being pushed in me, poked? Bring that before the Lord. It may be righteous anger. Most likely, honestly, it's probably not. It's probably an indication of some area of sinfulness or woundedness in yourself. And rather than feeling ashamed of that, thank you for bringing that up, Holy Spirit. And I want to deal with that. Some of you are wrestling pretty intensely with these questions. And uh, if you are, I would encourage you to reach out to Matt. There have been people who've reached out to him. We have some small groups that are forming around conversations about race and uh, reconciliation. And you may feel a bit isolated uh, wherever you are. Uh, and I would just say reach out to Matt and he can help connect you to some other people who are asking the same questions and wanting to have the same conversation. But I think for all of us, again, tying back to Revelation, Jesus is coming back. And he carries all of the ultimate solutions with him. So all of our expectations of what we can accomplish in the Spirit, not in our flesh, in the power of the Spirit, are still tempered. Because this is a fallen world and it's not going to be fully fixed until he returns. And at the same time, for those of us, again, who can become a bit apathetic, it's a reminder that he's coming back. And we don't want to be, a, we don't want to be sleeping on the job when he does. We're going to close with communion. You have three options. If you're at home, I'd encourage you to grab whatever you're using to take communion. One is you don't have to take it at all. Two, if you have one of those little communion cups um, on the, the back of your seat. So you can use that for bread and for juice. Three, you can come forward and take bread and use that communion cup for juice. So the only juice is what's in that cup. And you can decide if you want to use that bread faux bread substitute on that cup and it's just fine we've done that for the worship nights or you can come up here and take this other bread the gluten free is on the round plates the other is on the rectangle plates and grab the whole thing like take the whole little muffin deal don't just try to grab the bread out of it we're going to take communion together so we'll give the people that want to come up and take get bread an opportunity to do that and then we'll all come back together and we're all going to take the bread together we're all going to drink the juice together okay if you're not comfortable at all with what we're doing with communion do not take it it is not you're not going to hell because you did not take communion this morning god's fine with it so we're just we're offering it uh, in the best way that we know how and if again if, it, if you're not comfortable then don't uh, don't feel any pressure to participate so i'm going to say a prayer bo's going to come up and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to give you a chance uh, to come forward and grab bread for those who want. And probably what would be best, we didn't think this all the way through, would be maybe a row, like a section at a time. That way we don't have a long line. So um, maybe I'll, I'll do that part. Um, and so I'll just give each row a chance to come forward. Then everybody will come back together, take communion, and we'll close with a worship song. So y'all pray with me. I want you to think about this invitation. So the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And then it gets flipped. We say to Jesus, come. And then Jesus says to us, why don't you come to me? All of you who are thirsty. All of you who are thirsty, why don't you come to me? And so I want to ask you this morning, 
where are you thirsty? If you would say, in all honesty, I'm not thirsty at all. Well, let's ask the Lord to increase your hunger and your thirst for Him. Are you thirsty for peace? Are you thirsty for some sense of normalcy in your life? Are you thirsty for direction? Are you thirsty to see reconciliation in our city? What are you thirsty for? Everything that's good and right is found in Him. And communion reminds us of that. That He's sufficient. He doesn't just offer us forgiveness. He offers us abundant life. So I'm just going to ask, and I want to encourage you to ask, Holy Spirit, would you show me what I'm thirsty for this morning? What am I seeking? If God brings something to your mind and you know it's not righteous, you know it's not kingdom, it may be good, but it's not Him, I'd encourage you just to confess that. God, I've been chasing after the wrong things. Pray you'd forgive me. Pray you would deepen my thirst for you. As a deer pants for water, I want my soul to long for you. That's not my reality, and I'm asking that you would make it my reality. I want to be able to say that better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. It's better one day in your presence is better than a thousand apart from you. God, would you do that within me? Maybe what came to your mind is something that is, it is kingdom, it is righteous, it's something that you can find in him. And then I would just encourage you as you take communion to say, Jesus, I'm thirsty for this. Ultimately, it's you and it's this expression of your character, your life that I'm longing for right now. In my own life, in my family, in my work, in this city. Jesus, I pray you would satisfy our desires with good things. You said that's what you would do. And I pray that you would for every child, every student, every adult in this place, everyone watching online, would you satisfy our desires with good things? And we recognize that you, Father, are the source of all good gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Oh, Kim's going to do it. Just do everybody at once.
good. Everybody got the bread? Whatever you're using, so take it and eat it. This represents Jesus' body that was broken for you and for me. He was broken so that we could be made whole. All right, do your best with the cup here. Don't worry if you spill. This juice represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. He died so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Father, we thank you for all of the benefits of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We're thankful that you forgive us of our sins. We're thankful that you heal all of our diseases. We're thankful that you redeem us from the pit and crown us with love and compassion. We're thankful that you do satisfy our desires with good things. And God, I pray that would be reality for each man and woman, each boy and girl in this room and who is watching online, that this week our testimony would be, he satisfies me, gives me everything that I need. I'm thirsty and he quenches my thirst. God, I pray as we close out Revelation, I pray that we would take with us this truth to be faithful witnesses regardless of the personal cost. I pray that we would be faithful witnesses in the midst of a pandemic that has many people scared. That we would be faithful witnesses in the midst of a global recession that has people scared and other people hoarding. That we would be faithful witnesses in a time of civil unrest in our community where you're bringing things to light that have been hidden for so long. And as painful as that can be, We're thankful that you're doing it, not, we're thankful that you're doing it in order to promote healing and wholeness. And we want to be faithful witnesses in the midst of this. Maybe even particularly in the areas that we don't quite understand. God, I pray that we'd be faithful witnesses. I pray for the people in this room that they would find themselves having ideas that are smarter than them. Understanding that goes beyond their, uh, it's kind of what they would normally think. And that would be, it would be you speaking, giving context for them, for their families, for their offices. And for some of us, even having some context for our city at large. What it looks like for us to be faithful witnesses in these turbulent times. In Jesus' name, amen.